TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Good morning, area. It's time to wake up. It's five, and we're live. Oh, is this thing on? I don't care. I want him to hear. This is the pregame show, your early morning shot of sports on 95.7 The Game. Come on! Yes, sir. Good morning, family. Stephen Lightford in on the pregame show, 95.7 The Game, leading you up until 6 o'clock as the morning roast We'll take you until 10. 888-957-9570 is the text line and the phone number if you want to weigh in on anything today. Coming up in the show, Brian Windhorst, senior writer for ESPN, of course for the NBA, very well known, very well uh, respected, very reputable. He had something interesting to say yesterday on the morning roast regarding Andrew Wiggins, and it's been a topic of discussion for the past few days now. And he had something interesting to say about Andrew Wiggins, so I wanted to take a look at him uh, as a whole and how he's done um, so far this year in terms of his contract. So we'll take a look at that. Uh, We got some Matt Barnes sound to get to regarding referees, which I happen to agree with. And then we got the news yesterday, and this is what I wanted to start out the show today uh, with. 888-957-9570. J.J. Watt. Two years, $31 million, averaging $15.5 million. In base salary, I want to know from you, 888-957-9570, where are you at as a 49er fan if J.J. Watt is being signed by one of your NFC West rivals? Because here's where I'm at. It was said before free agency that you know the salary cap is going to be uh, between 180 to 185 million, it's looking more like it's going to be at 185 million, so not much in between. JJ Watt was going to be worth anywhere from 15 to 16 million dollars. And when looking at any of these other free agent pass rushers that are on the market, there were a couple that I had my eye on. It wasn't just JJ Watt. The other two that I was looking at were Leonard Williams, former New York Jet, then with the New York Giants. He had his best season of his career uh, last year. You had him, and then you had Yannick Ngakwe, who is a young player, uh, played with that Jacksonville Jaguars team, who had that defense that was the best in the NFL, along with you know Calais Campbell, Jalen Ramsey, Dante Fowler Jr., a majority of these guys, and they didn't really make it work. And Yannick Ngakwe has uh, yet to find a team, and he's still really young. So those two, I felt like, were going to be worth 15 to $16 million, and that was according to Spotrack. Now, J.J. Watt, I, I got to be honest, this signing for me, I know he's going to be opposite Chandler Jones and the Texans didn't have much of a defensive line to work with. But last year, 
he only had five and a half sacks. And I know I'm just looking at those numbers and, and thinking, you know, just, oh, yeah, he only had five sacks. He's not a very good pass rusher anymore. He did rank at a 90, according to Pro Football Focus. But I do think that for 15 to $16 million, with the amount of money that they're already spending already in Arizona, he's going to be there for the next two years. And I think we can make the assumption that he's probably going to retire uh, after this next year. But the signing for J.J. Watt, for me, I didn't really look at it so much like a lot of 49er fans did where it's like, well, the Cardinals are making moves. The 49ers absolutely need to make one now. I do think you need to sign Trent Williams to an extension. I do think that needs to happen. But I just don't think that J.J. Watt is exactly the same player that he once was. And it's 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 hard to live up to the, that standard when, you know, for four years in a row, you're playing at an all-pro level and you're one of the best defensive ends of the past decade. And I'm not trying to take anything away from J.J. Watt because uh, it's... It's his legacy has pretty much already been cemented. He was one of the best in the NFL and he played with a Houston Texans team, which couldn't get it figured out on offense. They had so much trouble. They had DeAndre Hopkins, but DeAndre Hopkins was playing with quarterbacks like, you know, Tom Savage as the starter. I mean, there's 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 so many that you can go to uh, down the list that, that that I mean, there's so many that you can even name. There's so many of them. I can't even name them. Uh, shout out to Joe Horn and Butcher Boy. But J.J. Uh, Watt to me is just this signing to me. It, it didn't really do much. And if you look at his stats down the line in 2018, he had an all pro year um, where he played all 16 games and he had 16 sacks that year. He also had 61 combined tackles, which is just insane. But in this previous year, when he played all 16 games, he only had five sacks. And along with that, he had 29 quarterback pressures. Now, when we're talking about pressures, that's when you take quarterback hurries, when you're chasing him out of the pocket, you're taking quarterback hits, when you actually hit the quarterback, and you're really just combining them all into one. So when you take the amount of pressures that he had, when you take the 29, and you look at the amount of sacks that he had, now, when you go down the list, right, I mean, the, normally the guys that are going to be leading the league in sacks have most likely led the, would most likely lead the league in pressures. For or, or, uh, example, TJ Watt, he led the league in pressures with 61, his brother, and he had 15 sacks on the year. Best pass rusher in the game. One of the best pass rushers in the game. All pro. But you go down the list of guys who are around that 29 mark. I mean that 28, 29, 30 mark. For example, go to L.A. with the Rams. Leonard Floyd. He had 30 pressures on the year. But he had 10 and a half sacks. You go to Montez Sweat, part of the Washington football team. He had 31 pressures, only two more than J.J. Watt. He had nine sacks. You go to Khalil Mack, he was a pro bowler. He had 31 pressures. He had nine sacks. Now Cameron Hayward uh, of Pittsburgh, he only had four this year. He had 31 pressures, uh, but he did a multitude of things along with that Pittsburgh defensive line. And I know you're thinking, well, that Houston defensive line isn't the same, but... I'm just saying that for 15 to 16 million dollars and you look at the salary cap for uh you look at the salaries for each of these guys he's making just about the same as Dante Fowler, Fowler Jr with the Atlanta Falcons, Daniel Hunter uh with the Minnesota Vikings and you know he's making he's making a little less than uh, D Ford and Eric Armstead and I think we can we can admit that uh, he he might be a little bit of a pl- better player than those two guys but still this signing for the Cardinals, it, it really didn't do much for me as far as just scaring me. I know it's gonna he's going to be out there along with Chandler Jones, and he could look completely different, but he's 31 years old, and he and I, and I you know it's it's unfair to call a player injury prone, but the fact is 
that two out of the last five seasons, or three out of the last five seasons, excuse me, he hasn't played more than six games. You know, he's been hurt for a lot of those times. And the last time he played a full season, in 2020, he only had five sacks. And in 2018, he was playing at an all-pro level, and he had 16 that year. I don't see J.J. uh, getting back to that point. And we've seen the impact that he can have uh, on a defense. And he's just not at that game-wrecker level. But if this is the type of thing that amplifies the need for the 49ers to go out and sign Trent Williams at left tackle, you do it. You know, if there if there if there didn't seem to be a reason in their eyes before, at least the Cardinals have given them a reason now because we always talk about franchise quarterbacks. They don't grow on trees. Right? That's always the talk. Jacina Anderson, we, we played that sound last week where Jacina Anderson was on 49ers Talk with Matt Mayoko and Laura Britt uh, uh, for NBC Sports Bay Area. And she mentioned that franchise quarterbacks don't grow on trees. Well, neither do great offensive linemen. And Trent Williams is a great offensive lineman. With the questionable rest of the line, who knows how Mike McGlinchey is going to do um, coming up on his fifth-year option here. Who knows what the interior is going to look like because he had a bunch of backups. If this is the type of move that forces the 49ers to sign Trent Williams, then this might be a good thing because you do not want that guy going anywhere. If Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be having any sort of success this year, you got to give him an offensive line. And, and that was an underlying issue surrounding all of this quarterback talk. You can get Deshaun Watson, sure. You can get Matthew Stafford. And you could trade away these pieces in order to get them, whatever. Carson Wentz, Sam Darnold, you name it. But Deshaun Watson, out of all of those guys, has been playing with a terrible offensive line. It has been in the top five in quarterbacks getting sacked every single year you do run the risk of just turning yourself into the Houston Texans if you don't have a if you don't have a good offensive line with a star quarterback uh, 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 under center. And I think that with Jimmy Garoppolo as a starter in 2021, you're going to need that good offensive line. And if J.J. Watt signing with the Cardinals along with Chandler Jones is what does it, then so be it. Then so be it. I, I just... Yeah, and, and from Mikey Dubs here at the 707, 888-957-9570, I would love to hear uh, your thoughts on this signing. But for me, it just didn't really scare me. As far as I'm concerned, I'm just like, well, all right. I mean, $15.5 million, that's a lot that you got to pay in base salary. And who knows what the salary cap is going to be looking like the year after this one. But the thing is, when you sign guys like this, you don't know what the salary cap is going to look like in the future, and you don't know how it's going to affect it. But $15 million is a lot to pay for one guy. And it is J.J. Watt, after all. Who knows? He's a Hall of Famer. You know, he's been one of the best pass rushers in the league. He could completely prove me wrong. Uh, he, he, he just could compl- he could go out there and get double-digit sacks because he does have uh, a good defensive line there in Arizona that can help him a little more than the one in Houston did. But my overall thought is it just didn't scare me too much. I just saw it and I said, wow, that's, that's kind of expensive. I would have been much more scared if they would have signed Leonard Williams or Yannick Ngakwe, a couple of guys in their mid-20s who have a little more upside instead of guys who are past their prime. 888-957-9570 if you want to weigh in on that. All right. Coming up next, Andrew Wiggins. Brian Windhorst spoke about him. He's been kind of cold as of late. And Brian Windhorst mentioned something that's pretty interesting uh, as far as Andrew Wiggins and the contract that he's worth because ever since Kelly Oubre has started to improve and, you know, shooting over 40% from three in the month of February and he's looking more and more comfortable within this Warriors offense, it has been the talk about how you are going to possibly sign Kelly Oubre 
or trade Andrew Wiggins. Well, Brian Windhorst, he was on the morning roast yesterday, and he hit us with a little dose of reality. And I did a little research um, just looking at Andrew Wiggins along with his contract and the stats that he's worth. But 888-957-9570 is the text line and the phone number if you want to weigh in on anything today. Stephen Langford on the pregame show, 95.7 again. Now back to the pregame show on 95.7 The Game. Here's Stephen Langford. The reason I'm playing this song is because anytime I'm driving in my car, it just feels good. Driving to this beat. Then the vocals come in. Oh, John Curley shaking his head behind the glass. Go shake your head someplace else, John Curley. Uh, I do want to get to this Brian Windhorst sound who was on with the morning roast. Uh, uh, he spoke about Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre, and they've been a big topic of discussion. Uh, but in the first segment, in case you're just getting into your car now and you're hearing this song and you're you're vibing to the beat, I'm sorry, I gotta 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 tone it down. Uh, but from the five one zero, this is from Stephen and Hercules. I would have liked to have seen him on the Raiders. He'd be an upgrade over any pass rusher we have now. And that, of course, is speaking with uh, about JJ Watt, who signed the two year. $31 million deal uh, with the Arizona Cardinals, going to be averaging a base salary at 15 and a half. And, well, you know, I think a lot of Raider fans, Stephen, feel that way. Um, but, uh, I mean, I, I went into great detail uh, with this on Black Hole Sundays on, on, the, on that Raider podcast that I do, so you can check that out. Uh, you can find that under the pregame show tab. But um, if he's worth $15.5 million, you're going to have to cut a load of guys because they are already well over that $185 million salary cap threshold. That's why they that's why they cut Tyrell Williams because he wasn't worth anything in dead cap money, so they saved $11.5 million there. Uh, Marcus Mariota is going to be up there worth $11 million, and uh, you know they're trying to find a trade partner for him, but talks have quote-unquote dried up, and I, I, I hate that term. <laughs> Absolutely hated that term, but there are so many other guys. I mean, um, Trent Brown, Richie Incognito, Gabe Jackson. If you were to just to release those guys, none of they they wouldn't be worth anything in dead cap money. Gabe Jackson worth nine million, while uh, Richie Incognito worth about seven million dollars. So if you do sign a guy like J.J. Watt, or if you would have signed J.J. Watt, then you would have had to have released. Um, some significant players who are worth a lot of money, and that offensive line that you spent a, a ton on early in the first place, none of those guys, one of those guys would have to be cut. So you wouldn't see Incognito there, possibly, possibly Gabe Jackson or Trent Brown. You'd have to make some drastic moves in order to make that work. Um, and 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 that's just the reality, and that's what happens when you pay guys, and and that's. I mean, that's what's going on with the majority of these teams, the Seahawks, for example. Russell Wilson being disgruntled, saying that he's getting hit too much. Really, that's just him saying, hey, get me a better offensive line. Well, they spent a lot of money on the defense before. And in turn, they couldn't spend much money on an offensive line. Now, they haven't done much to do it, uh, to, to build, they haven't done much um, to build it since then, but. Still, I mean, you know, you spend big early on, it's going to set you back in a few places. And, you know, even though they are in the market for a free agent pass rusher, you're going to have to release some guys. But um, look, I I just think that the J.J. Watt signing for me, it doesn't scare me too much because, I mean, it's still J.J. Watt after all, and I'm not trying to take away from what he's done and the fact that he is a Hall of Fame pass rusher and you know from the 925 you could be right here not like the what this is a good this is a good text not like the watt signing will keep me up at night but he's the type of player that would have a rebirth season motivated by a new environment on a legitimately competitive team and there could be something to that but if you're paying 15 and a half million on average for a guy who has played only two full seasons 
out of the last five, one of which um, he only had five sacks. Now, sure, it was a, with a Houston defensive line that wasn't very good, and we've seen the impact that a good defensive line can have. Just look at the 49ers and how a good defensive line impacted Eric Armstead's numbers in that year when they decided whether uh, they needed to sign him to a long-term deal or uh, or get rid of him. But I, I do think that uh, that it was just a little too expensive for my taste. And, you know, the salary cap and the amount that they got to pay for other guys, um, who knows how it's going to work out for them. But uh, I do think that the one positive, if you are a 49er fan, is that, if anything, this will fast-track a move to sign Trent Williams to a deal. And I think that you need to sign Trent Williams. I think he was great at left tackle. And with Joe Staley retired, left tackles just don't grow on trees, right? And Trent Williams is just going to be about the best that you can get. Plus, he took a year off, and he still had a great year. Just think what one year of experience, uh, one more year of experience would would have done. And also, you can add a uh, uh, you can also add uh, a training camp involved in that. And, and we'll see what happens uh, with NFL and their preseason going forward. But I think there's a lot of positives that you can take away, a lot of benefits if you do sign Trent Williams uh, to a long term deal. But triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero is the text line and the phone number if you want to weigh in on anything today uh switching to the warriors brian windhorst of espn he's a senior writer um of course for the nba and he talked about andrew wiggins now we've been having that discussion about kelly Oubre. oof i mean is he worth a free agent deal now I mean, are they going to have to try and give him some sort of contract extension next year? Are they what? Are, what are they going to do with Kelly Oubre? Well, if they're going to do something for Kelly Oubre and pay him some sort of money, then Andrew Wiggins might have to be that guy you trade away. But Brian Windhorst was asked about that on the morning roast, and he had this to say about Andrew Wiggins and his contract. I don't think you're trading Andrew Wiggins unless you're in, unless you're attaching assets to incentivize, or you're taking back a horrible contract, which will make you worse. It's not really against him as a player. It's that player with that contract. It's kind of like Andre Drummond right now. Right. It's not that Andre Drummond is a bad player. It's just that nobody wants him for $28 million. Nobody wants Andrew Wiggins at that money. And I'm just going to say, Andrew Wiggins is now in his sixth year or something in the league. He is who he is. What's happening to him is not a surprise at all. And by the way, I suspect having followed Andrew Wiggins closely when he was in Minnesota, that in two weeks or two days or, or, or a month, he will have another run of eight or nine games where he looks really good. Mm-hmm. And people will start saying, well, maybe he's coming around. No, that's who he's been. He's been that way for years. That's who he is. I don't think you're going to be able to trade him, at least for, for value. I just don't think that exists. So this year he is making $29.5 million. Then the following season he'll be making $31.5 million. So you up that by a couple of mil. And then in that third year, he's going to be making $33.6 million per year. So you're paying him quite a bit of money. But here's the thing. Looking at these other contracts around the league, and looking at these other max players now, I mean, Kristaps Porzingis is making that amount. He's not been that great so far. But when you look at these other guys, when you look at Joel Embiid, who is playing at an MVP level right now, he's making the same amount of money. They got a max extension uh, at the exact uh, in the exact same year. Devin Booker is making twenty nine million. Carl Anthony Towns is making twenty nine million. C.J. McCollum is making $29 million. Now, McCollum has been hurt for a majority of the year, uh, but McCollum is a very productive scorer and efficient scorer when he is in the game. Unfortunately, they're not gonna be, um, seeing, uh, we're not going to be seeing him against the Warriors tomorrow uh, when they do face the Blazers. Ben Simmons making $29 million. Jamal Murray making $29 million. Pascal Siakam making $29 million. With the way that Andrew Wiggins has been playing this year, he's averaging 17 points a game. He's got a couple of assists, and um, he's only shooting 66% from the free throw line and 34% from three. The money that they pay him, there's no way that they're going to be able to trade him with that contract. So, you know, all this talk about Kelly Oubre and, 
you know, him possibly staying with the team next year, it just does not seem like it's going to be viable. And like Brian Windhorst said, you can attach some assets to it and you can maybe throw in some sort of incentives or you could trade him along for a worse contract, which would, or for a bigger contract, excuse me, which would put them even more already over the luxury tax than they already are with that addition of Kelly Oubre. So whenever we are bringing up, you know, should the Warriors keep Oubre or Andrew Wiggins, when Brian Windhorse mentioned that on the morning roast yesterday, I thought, oh, okay. So trading Andrew Wiggins just does not seem like a viable thing. And it's not like he's up there with those other players who are averaging more than 20 points a game. I mean, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid both headline the top team in the Eastern Conference, and they've been hurt. Uh, A couple of the other players on the Sixers have been hurt for some of the time, so they've just been carrying them. Devin Booker um, has finally got some pieces in Phoenix, and now they're a team that's a 22-win team right now within the top four in the Western Conference. Um, Carl Anthony Towns, even though the Minnesota Timberwolves are not a great team, he's still a great player. Jamal Murray, even though Denver hasn't been that great this year, we know what Jamal Murray can do. And Pascal Siakam just constantly improves every single year. And it seems like that's the case with a lot of these guys. And with Brian Windhorst and what he mentioned, doesn't seem like Andrew Wiggins is improving all that much. Now, defensively, he has. Defensively, can't take that away. But part of the issue with that second unit, something that we're not really looking at, we're looking at Brad Wanamaker and talking about the offensive production that he brings. And, you know, the Warriors did call up Nico Manning and Jordan Poole from the G League, and we'll see if that uh, actually makes any sort of difference. But Andrew Wiggins is who he is, and he hasn't really helped that second unit ever since he got put back into the second unit, switching out with Kelly Oubre. Started out with Wiggins, and he was great. Him and Eric Pascal were great in that second unit. Then Kelly Oubre was put in. The second unit slowed down a little bit. Then Andrew Wiggins came back, and it just he does not seem like the same player uh, with that second unit right now. But like Bride Windhorse said, you know, in the next couple of weeks whatever in these next few games who knows what's going to happen in these next two when you got uh, when you got Portland and then Phoenix on Wednesday and Thursday respectively but Andrew Wiggins could look like a totally different player and then you could come on here on the morning ro- or uh, excuse me on the pregame show at 888-957-9570 or of course on the morning roast I mean I work on that show as well and you could say Steven you're wrong this is stupid why are you even mentioning this but these are just the facts, and these are the guys uh, that he's getting paid similarly to. 888-957-9570 is the text line and the phone number. Want to continue to discuss this, but also Matt Barnes on the morning roast yesterday. He spoke about the refs in the NBA, and I just don't think we were paying attention enough to that when we were talking about Draymond Green. So we'll get to that sound, as well as uh, more Brian Windhorst talking about Kelly Oubre. But if you want to weigh in, 888-957-9570 would love for you to do so. Do you think that Andrew Wiggins has actually been worth that $29 million, or are we just going to have to ride this out? Is this just a situation? It's tough. Triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero. Stephen Langford on the pregame show. Ninety five seven. The game. Now back to the pregame show on ninety five seven. The game. Here's Stephen Langford. Ah. Ah, 888-957-9570 is the text line and the phone number. We'll get to more of what Brian Windhorst had to say. And uh, Tina and Sunnyvale actually had a question uh, about uh, spring training, which we'll get to in a second. But whenever you got the backup vocals in songs like these, where it's just like, ha, ha, ha. I'd love to be in the studio to watch that. You know, I mean, let's think. I mean, everybody in the club getting tipsy. 
<laughs> you know, doing the breath in the studio. I don't know. It's funny to me whenever I picture that. I'm easily amused, as you know, if you listen to the pregame show. 888-957-9570 is the text line and the phone number. But this is from Tina and Sunnyvale, and we'll get to uh, what Brian Windhorst had to say regarding uh, Andrew Wiggins' contract, as well as uh, Matt Barnes, because he spoke the truth when talking about the refs and what we need from him because he mentioned that we do need more transparency. Uh, but Tina in Sunnyvale said, good morning. How are you liking the new spring training mercy rule? The Reds took one yesterday against the A's when they kept slapping the ball all around and out of the park. They actually uh, did it twice. And here's the new spring training rule because if you don't know what it is, if you don't know what the new mercy rule is and you don't pay attention to spring training, I don't blame you. It's a, it's a long process. You know, if you're a huge baseball fan and, you know, you really love your team, I'm sure like Tina and Sunnyvale loves the A's here, then you're going to pay attention. But if you're just a general baseball fan and you're the, one of those who wants to rate, wait for the regular season, you might not have seen it. Um, but really, how it works is, and don't get me started on Chelsea making a move for Holland from the 925. I don't want to go off track. Uh, but from, from, uh, Tina and Sunnyvale asking how I like the new spring training rule. Well, how it goes is basically teams can end an inning after their pitcher has thrown at least 20 pitches. So a mercy rule is normally, you know, I mean, going back to Little League, it's when teams would get put up or teams would get 10 run, really. So if it was 10 nothing, and by the time it got to a certain inning, whether it was the fourth or the fifth, then they'd just uh, end the game and just stopped bleeding pretty much. Um, but uh, basically, I kind of like it um, because I don't feel like spring training is a time to overexert your pitchers. It's not a time to get these guys to just it's it's not a time for them to get out of jams right if they have a bad outing they have a bad outing it's not like it's going to mean anything for the regular season um i do think that it puts a little more pressure on these guys who are invited to spring training and maybe uh, trying to make the roster at least make a name for themselves but i think if you did uh what the a's did which is Mercy rule these guys twice. I do think there's something to that when you're looking in the season and you're looking back at spring training and, you know, you're not supposed to take spring training seriously and how it uh, how that affects uh, the regular season because it's just spring training, right? It's not regular games, but I do think that if you're the A's and you're one of those teams that has caused the no mercy rule twice, caused the mercy rule twice, I'm... I mean, there's something there where you're you're going to the regular season with a little more hope. But I think, Tina, you know, A's fans, and, and including yourself, just want to see what it's like when they get to the postseason. I think it's I think it's really, uh, you know, a lot of my friends who are A's fans, they're just fed up. You know, they're just fed up at this point. They just they know they're a good regular season team. You know, it's kind of like. I mean, if you go to basketball, it's kind of like being a, a, a Clippers fan or a Denver Nuggets fan or a Utah Jazz fan. can be great in the regular season, and you're going to be involved in the top eight within the conference, or the in the A's case, they're going to be in the top in the American League, but it's just wait till the playoffs come around, and uh, and, and then we'll see what they can do. Um, I'll get to Duriel and San Jose in just a second, but transitioning uh, to the Warriors, I played the sound in the last segment, and Brian Windhorse mentioned this on the morning roast, and they asked about Andrew Wiggins and the contract that he's worth whether they would be inclined to trade Andrew Wiggins this year. And, you know, of course, he's averaging 17 points per game, and he's not playing that well. Uh, but Brian Windhorst spoke about it yesterday, and he had this to say on with the morning roast. I don't think you're trading Andrew Wiggins unless you're, in, unless you're attaching assets to incentivize or you're taking back a horrible contract, which will make you worse. It's not really against him as a player. It's that player with that contract. It's kind of like Andre Drummond right now. Right. It's not that Andre Drummond is a bad player. It's just that nobody wants him for $28 million. Nobody wants Andrew Wiggins at that money. And I'm just going to say, Andrew Wiggins is now in his sixth year or something in the league. He is who he is. What's happening to him is not a surprise at all. And by the way, I suspect 
having followed Andrew Wiggins closely when he was in Minnesota, that in two weeks or two days or, or, or a month, he will have another run of eight or nine games where he looks really good. Mm-hmm. And people will start saying, well, maybe he's coming around. No, that's who he's been. He's been that way for years. That's who he is. I don't think you're going to be able to trade him, at least for, for value. I just don't think that exists. $29.5 million he's going to be making this year. Then you up that by a couple of mil. He's going to be making thirty-one and a half in twenty twenty-one, and then thirty-three point six in twenty twenty-two. So as a max contract, you're paying, uh, for example, Philadelphia is paying the exact same amount to Joel Embiid, who is playing at an MVP caliber level caliber level right now. But triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero is the text line and the phone line if you want to weigh in on Andrew Wiggins so far this year. I mean. Is it just a case of, look, we're going to have to just ride this out, or will they actually have to take drastic measures in order to get this contract off the books? Triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero. Uh Duriel in San Jose wants to weigh in, one of my guys. What's up, Duriel? Hey, let's get down to it, man. You know, Wiggins has been playing well. He's been doing what Steve Kerr has been wanting to do all year. He's been playing defense. Mm-hmm. You know, 17 points is nothing to laugh at and everything. Yeah. You know, the thing is is that him and Oubre basically play the same position. They're both 6'7". Uh, you know, Clay is a 2. You know, so whichever one of those guys can play the 3 the best, you know, we, we would probably want to keep. But, you know, the thing is, he's playing, you know, Steve Kerr, you know, he's going to unleash Wiggins at the right time. If he wants him to go out there and take 20 shots, mm-hmm. he'll tell him to go out there and take 20, and he's going he's gonna to score a lot of points off of that, man. You know, Steve Kerr knows what he's doing. The Warriors, we had a tough game against LeBron. That's LeBron, man. That's a different beast right there. Of course. We're still in this thing. We still have the formula to win a championship, okay? Pascal, you want some time now? Draymond's hurt. You go out there, you be our Draymond, except you can score, man. You know what I'm saying? You're not a hybrid. You're not a point guard wannabe or whatever. You know, you know, Steph Curry's not a, he's, he's a hybrid point guard. He's not a true point guard. You know what I mean? If, if, if Wiggins was playing with Chris Paul, Chris Paul would have him scoring 25, 30 points looking like Devin Booker and everything. You know what? So, Wiggins, you're going to have to step it up, man. Everybody knows it. It's the elephant in the room. You got to score 25 points one night, maybe 30, and help Curry out. But the Warriors are still in this. We got this, man. You know, don't change this team up. And Oubre, you might be leaving Golden State with a championship ring on your finger this year if you do your thing and keep doing what you've been doing. And, you know, Wiseman, he's going to step up and he's going to get his, man. He's going to do his thing. Warriors, we're looking great right now. Don't worry about it. We're good and we're a good team. I love that vibe right now. Thanks for the call, Duriel, man. Have a great morning. Sheesh. I mean, that was awesome. But I do think if he's going to be worth that amount of money and, you know, he's up there with Steph, Clay, and Draymond as far as max contracts and, 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 the, and, and what they're worth – uh, Clay, for example, going to be making uh, thirty-five million. Um, he's making thirty-five million this year. He's going to be making thirty-seven next year. And really, since he's gotten that extension, hasn't been able to stay on the court too much. And uh, you know, Steph Curry is the highest-paid uh, player in the NBA in terms of uh, average value. But I'm just saying that if Andrew Wiggins is going to be headlining that second unit right now, it's not so much the first unit. It's not so much the first unit because Duriel, you're right. You know, he has been playing well when he's out there uh, with the starters. But when this year specifically, when you got to be the guy who is the scorer in the second unit, you need a little more from him. And, 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 and I don't think that's too much to ask when you are paying him $29 million a year. But uh, Brian Windhorst also spoke about uh, uh, also spoke about Kelly Oubre as well, and continued talking about uh, 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 Kelly or excuse me talking about Wiggins' contract. And Winhorse continued with Kelly Oubre. So here's Brian Winhorst on with the morning roast yesterday, senior NBA writer for ESPN. As far as uh, Oubre, with what their salary commitments are elsewhere, as long as you feel good about Clay coming back, you're you're in much better condition with Clay than than, than paying Oubre. And, and we'll see where they are on March 25th. I mean, it is not in the nature of Joe Lacob. Steve Kerr, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, anybody in the organization to tank. But this situation that the Warriors are in right now, where they are stuck in the middle, is exactly why Sam Hinkie did what he did. It would be much better for them as an organization to sink down into a non-playoff situation and pray that Minnesota doesn't get that top three and have two great top 10, 12 picks in this draft. 
But me saying that is very simple to say that on the radio on a Monday morning. Right. That's not who the Warriors are as an organization. <laughs> I doubt they do that. Yeah. And, and, and with, look, right now this is the team that they're going to be going with, and they just called up uh, Nico Mannion and Jordan Poole. We'll see if uh, – well, I'm interested to see what happens there because, you know, we've been going at Brad Wanamaker saying that they need to make a change, um, and it's great that Poole has been the guy in the G League – but we got to see it in the NBA because he has turned the ball over there uh, 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 quite a bit in the G League. You know, there was a, there was one of these games he was up against Iowa and he scored a double double. But something that no one paid attention to was that he had, that he had ten turnovers alone in that game. So I'm interested to see how he does in the NBA. Not going to take anything away from it, and I am interested to see the effect that it has on him because I do believe that uh, Jordan Poole, after all, kind of got a, a, a raw deal, so to speak, when <laughs> none of these guys uh, who he expected to be playing with going forward in the season uh, when they ended up getting hurt and he was just thrusted into the starting lineup right away and expected to be that starting two guard who could knock down threes because that was uh, the uh, the reputation he had coming out of Michigan. What's going to happen with Andrew Wiggins and Oubre going forward in the season is going to be interesting. Let's just hope Oubre, or excuse me, uh, Andrew Wiggins picks it up and Oubre stays consistent with what he's been doing because Oubre, it seems like, has figured out how to play with Steph and Draymond. He's understanding the positioning. He's understanding um, that, you know, he doesn't need to just stand in the corner and wait for the ball to come to him. He's going to have to create room for himself so that, you know, Draymond is going to have an open pass when Steph takes a double team. Going to be interesting. Uh, from the 5-1-0, double-double with 10 turnovers is a triple-double. Don't play with pool like that. <laughs> It's like it's you know before uh, you know before Draymond got hurt and before he had those games where he's actually scoring in the double digits and giving you some production offensively, uh, not only just passing, but someone mentioned that he was going to have a unicorn season where he would average more than eight assists per game. At least he was on pace to do that. He'd be the first player to average more than eight assists while also not averaging more than five points per game while shooting over 40% from the field. No other player in the NBA history has done that. And it's kind of like it's kind of like this Jordan Poole thing with a with a with a triple double and 10 turnovers. It's like, yeah, that's a unicorn season, but is it really great if you're getting 8 assists per game uh but not scoring more than 5 points per game? I think that's changed up a little bit though. So, uh I don't think he's going to be getting that record anymore. But uh had to mention that. Speaking of Draymond Matt Barnes was on with The Morning Roast yesterday, and, and, and Matt Barnes is a terrific podcast. Uh, it's All the Smoke with Steven Jackson. I highly recommend you check it out. Their interviews are awesome. They're, uh, uh, they're just a great duo, and it's, it's just fun to hear them talk. But uh, Matt Barnes was on with The Morning Roast yesterday, and he talked about Draymond Green, and they asked him what happened last Saturday against the Charlotte Hornets and how he can uh, how he can overcome that and how he did overcome that. So here's Matt Barnes on with the morning roast yesterday. I love it. I love it. Like I said, Draymond's gift is also his curse at times, but you can't, you know, he's going to give you a lot more good than he is bad. And the technicals sometimes come with it. Obviously, we all know what happened in Charlotte a little bit over a week ago. What was over the line and, and he and I talked about it and that was the first thing he admitted, you know, I was wrong and you know, I got to do better. And, you know, he's always going to take accountability for his mistakes. But I love the way he was able to bounce back um, and come out and, and have a career-high 19 assists. And sometimes technical fouls are just going to come with it because he wears his heart and his soul on his sleeve. And to be honest with you, a lot of the time, the rest have been terrible, like <laughs> absolutely terrible. So I kind of understand. But I think he knows as well, like you can't let your emotions get the best of you and affect the team. And, and I think he knows that, but sometimes it's, you know, it's a, it's a thin line he walks. But I love what Draymond brings to the game. I love what he brings to the Warriors, and I'm a big fan of his. And so the the morning roast did a good job in following up, talking about the refs, because it, it was something that we didn't really bring up. You know, sure, we said Draymond needed to control his temper, but think about how quick they called those technicals. Blink, and you didn't even see what happened. You know, I mean, you get you 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 watch the jump ball. I mean, at that point, I mean, it took the refs like 15 minutes to decide uh, what happened with Brad Wanamaker and you know Lamelo Ball, and I think it was 
I think it was P.J. Washington who was the other guy uh, who was going to grab it. But um, instead of seeing Steve Kerr call the timeout when Brad Wanamaker clearly had possession, they called the jump ball, but it took him 15 minutes uh, to do so. So I wouldn't have been surprised if you as a fan, and you can feel free to admit to this, 888-957-9570, wanted to get up and take a break. Saying, all right, this, these these refs are going to take forever. I mean, who hasn't done that, you know, for example, during a baseball game when they're calling a replay? Who hasn't gone up and gone to the bathroom because you know it's going to take 20 minutes? Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I'm, if you did that and then, you know, you didn't see the jump ball, all of a sudden Draymond got the two techs and he was out of the game in like a span of 10 seconds. And I do think uh, that the refs, there needed to be more than the pool report because all they did – after the game, the pool report, it's it's kind of like the two-minute report with the NFL, but all they did was just go over every foul that they called, and they justified it. They just essentially said, we, are, we were right on every call. And Matt Barnes uh, continued, and uh, the Morning Roast followed up with him, talking about the refs, and he had some interesting stuff to say. So let's start out with the first part, uh, just talking about why refs take over games like that at times. A lot of it is ego. You know, too, which is unfortunate. And the refs have to understand not one person watching that game is tuned in to watch the referees. And I think sometimes ego and pride as a man takes over these guys and they don't want to be shown up by players. And I, I, I get that. But at the same time, they have to understand the emotion of the game. And if they've been in the game long enough, they know how high emotions run during games and during big games in particular and kind of have to have that understanding. Now, it's a tough job. No one's saying being a referee is easy because no matter what call you make, half the gym is going to be mad at you. You know, So it's definitely not an easy job, but it's a job they pick, and they definitely have to do a better job because the way that these teams are being thrown out left and right and then being rescinded, but in the moment, it's costing teams games, which, you know, with a shortened season is, is very important. I mean, that one where he got the technical for, you know, yelling at his teammate and the refs accidentally uh, mistook it for him yelling at uh, the refs. Um, maybe that had something to do with no fans being in the stands and you can really hear every single word that Draymond is saying. Um, but uh, but but I do think that Barnes is right on that and and he he admitted that you know these guys are human and they're going to make mistakes but uh he kept on, he he continued as the morning roast followed up uh talking about the refs and I think Barnes was super eloquent when when talking about this this is interesting he compares the refs and what we need to see to them um from them excuse me uh compared to players and what we have with players and that is statistics we need more transparency we need these refs to be held accountable when players mess up or Draymond gets double teed and fine the world knows about it but when these referees mess up it's swept under the rug their grades need to be posted every day just like our stats are posted every day we need to know who's who we need to know who's the best ref we need to know who has the lowest ref just like they know with players you know that steph's a great player and someone else may be kind of a bench player with their numbers like we need more transparency as far as what their scores are each game how many calls they miss because i think if they do that you're held accountable and the public knows how bad of a game you had, you're going to come out and try to have a much better game. But you're, if you're able to have a bad game and have costly technical fouls that weren't really technical fouls and no one really makes a big deal of it, they're going to continue to do the same thing. So I definitely think there needs to be more transparency on the part of the refs. And then Barnes continued with transparency from the refs. We need to, I don't know what it's called, whether they're scorecards or report card, whatever that needs, that needs to be public. We need to see that. We need to know that Monty missed, you know, missed six calls and, and, and made a bad technical foul. It wasn't actually th- like we need to know this kind of stuff, and the public needs to know so these guys know. Man, next game I, I really had a bad game. I need to come in and focus and do a better job because nothing is public and everything continues to get sw- swept under the rug. I mean, the two minute report is BS. You know that oh we missed this. This is I mean, what does that do? You know that that does nothing but piss players off more. I know it used to piss me off. So I think there needs to be more transparencies with the refs, and I think you'll start to see them take more pride in you know responsibility for their actions so here's the thing with that i agree with them and shout out to uh my man john Curley, who produces uh the morning roast from six to ten um he never shuts up about it but he always says that he always says that we need to have uh ref press conferences right after the game but here's the thing because matt barnes makes a good point you need someone to take the statistics of it you want him to take uh all that down but here's the thing somebody's got to do the job you know, who's going to want to be the reporter who sits there listening to the refs? Uh, who who wants to be the reporter sitting there listening to a ref at the podium? I'd love it. 
But you know what? That's what we're going to do. We need to find someone who's willing to do that job because that job would help immensely. And especially uh, in the NBA, we had that one apology from, you know, Jim Joyce when Armando Galarraga lost out on a perfect game and he ended up calling the guy safe at first, even though he was clearly out when there was. Uh, you know, there's two outs, and I think it was in the uh, it was in the top of the ninth because Detroit was at home. We had Jim Joyce, uh, we had Jim Joyce go to the podium and essentially give out an apology. But I do think some sort of post game interaction with a ref, um, it would cause that transparency that Matt Barnes is talking about. Um, so. Look, I, I really enjoyed it. And if you, uh, if you want to check out the interview, you can, of course, go to 957thegame.radio.com. Go to the morning roast. It's posted right there. You can go to the radio.com app. There's plenty of ways you can get it. I recommend you listen to all three interviews we had yesterday, uh, with Brian Windhorst, Matt Barnes, and Clay Thompson's dad, Michael Thompson, who, of course, is involved with LA Lakers radio. Um, tonight, Look, spring training, I know it's not that interesting. I know that it's a month-long process and you're just waiting for the regular season. But if you're a Giants fan and you want to know what the future is going to look like, here's how the lineup is looking against the Dodgers today. You got Donovan Solano. You got Buster Posey. Alex Dickerson. Wilmore Flores. Darren Ruff. Wade Jr., he came over in a trade from Sean Anderson. Mauricio Dubon, Vossler. But then, at the eighth spot, Marco Luciano, shortstop. This dude's young. He's supposed to be a beast. And if you are inclined to try and see the future for the Giants, this game tonight, if there's going to be anyone, it's when these guys, you know, the likes of Luciano, Elio Ramos, uh, Patrick Bailey, hell, even Joey Bart, whenever those guys are inserted in the lineup, uh, that's kind of a must-watch if you're a Giants fan and you're looking forward to spring training. Triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero. What are you? What are you shaking your head at, John Curley? My goodness. I mean, the amount of skepticism this guy has, he's so negative if you know him. I mean, jeez, what a mean guy. Uh, the Morning Rose with Kate Scott, Joe the Butcher Wachowski, and Bonte Hill coming up next. Thanks so much for joining me, everyone. I'll be back tomorrow at 5 a.m. on 95.7 The Game.